Well, no one did more to abolish slavery in England than William Wilberforce. Now, this man started his career in politics in 1780, but in 1785, he was saved and he became an evangelical Christian and everything about his life changed. And he couldn't reconcile in his mind uh, how uh, the, the Jesus' command to love one another could exist at the same time uh, as the injustice of slavery existed. And so over his decades in the House of Commons, uh, he tirelessly advocated that slavery be abolished, uh, arguing that it was repugnant to humanity, uh, to Christianity, to England and its constitution. And, and after years of fighting with his political opponents, uh, in 1833, only three days before Wilberforce died, a parliament passed the uh, Abolition of Slavery Act. Uh, and that was an incredible thing. Uh, Wilberforce lived to see it, which is uh, the, the, the fruit of all of his labor. And what that did was it, it freed 700,000 slaves in England and uh, the West Indian colonies. Now that was 1833. By 1840, England had uh, completely uh, abolished slavery in all of its possessions, becoming the first uh, country in the world to outlaw slavery. Uh, what a legacy that Wilberforce left, uh, because he loved his brothers and his sisters, and he, he hated the pain that they were in, the injustice uh, that he saw, and because he loved the Lord, and he took seriously uh, the Lord's command that we love one another. Well, we're studying John chapter 15 this week as we prepare our hearts for Easter. And in fact, as we've been talking about, today is Palm Sunday, the day when Jesus' uh, triumphal entry into Jerusalem uh, on the Sunday that began uh, his Passion Week. And uh, Jesus spoke these words in John chapter 15 a few days after he entered Jerusalem and just a few hours before he would go to the cross. So we can divide John chapter 15 really into three sections. Uh, we looked at the first one last week, which was our relationship with Jesus Christ. And our relationship with Jesus Christ is that we are to abide in him. And when we talked about abiding, we said it means faith plus obedience. Uh, by abiding in him, by being faithful and obedient to him, we will bear much fruit. Now, these next two sections of John chapter 15 that we'll look at today and extending into John chapter 16, they're about our relationship with each other uh, in the beginning of the chapter and then our relationship with, with the world, which will tend to hate us because of what we believe. So our relationship with each other is that we love one another. That is what Jesus' command to us is. Uh, and so, uh, again... Uh, let's recall that Jesus was only hours from his crucifixion as he spoke these words to his disciples, comforting them as if they were going to the cross when actually it was him who was going to the cross only a few hours later. And Jesus showed his love for them uh, by staying with his disciples uh, and loving them to the end. Uh, so let's talk about how true disciples love one another first. Uh, this is verses 12 to 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all the things I heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. 
and appointed you that you would go out and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. Well, I count at least four different ways that that Jesus uh, described how we love one another uh, in these verses. But before we list them, I just want to point out uh, that Jesus began and ended these verses in verse 12 and 17 with this command to love one another. So obviously, the command to love one another is not optional uh, for Christians. Uh, It's part of obedience to him. If we're going to be obedient to him, loving one another is part of that obedience. And obedience to Jesus is part of abiding in him. Uh, So we do not have an option here. We are required to love one another. Now, let's think about this list of how Jesus loved uh, or how Jesus loved them and how we are supposed to love because of it. He says first, just as I have loved you. Could there be a higher bar? Could there be a higher bar than just as I have loved you? Uh, Jesus loved the church enough to give up his rightful place uh, in heaven, uh, inhabit a limited human body and subject himself to human weakness and infirmities a hunger, a thirst, weariness, and even death. He subjected himself to the whims of human sinfulness, the, the power hungriness of the scribes and Pharisees, their misinterpretation of the scriptures. And ultimately, he allowed himself to be tortured and killed by the very ones he came to save. Now, we may not be asked to lay down our lives for each other or for Christ. In, the, in America, it's not likely to happen, but it may happen if we live long enough. Who knows what may happen in this country? Uh, so to love Jesus, uh, to love as Jesus loved, means that we are willing to die for each other uh, as Jesus died for us. And that's why I say there is no higher bar than this, what Jesus is talking about here, uh, loving each other just as I have loved you. He also said that we are to love each other uh, as Jesus loved, which is as friends. Jesus called them his friends. Greater love has no one than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. Now, of all those Jesus came to save, Jesus loved his apostles specially, right? He picked them. He chose them. He called them to be with him. He called them to learn from him. And then he sent them on mission uh, to spread the gospel to the world uh, and to, to, to make Jesus Christ known. Now, it's one thing to be a follower or a disciple of Jesus Christ, but to have the Lord Jesus Christ call you friend, that's next level love, isn't it? That's next level love to be called a friend of Jesus Christ. Now, you all have friends, and and you do most anything for your friends. Uh, I think for us, maybe the truest test of friendship is when our friends call us and they say, hey, uh, uh, Bob, can you help me move on Saturday morning? (laughs) Or uh, I have a a, a 6 a.m. flight. Uh, Could you take me to the airport? Uh, Those are true tests of friendship in in human relationships, right? Uh, And we really, uh, you have to be a, a very good friend to ask that question because it's, 
It's, uh, there's only few people you can ask that question of to, to move or to take me to the airport, and you know they'll be there for you. We only do these things for those we really love. But Jesus was a, a true friend to, to all, uh, to all of his apostles, telling them everything they needed to know, everything that they were going to need to know uh, as they were going to be without him soon. So they, he was comforting them in, in his hour of crisis, which became their hour of crisis. And then he went forward dying for them. That's true friendship. Now, the disciples, for their part, they did not prove to be true friends in his hour of need, did they? They uh, as soon as the heat got turned up, they all fled, just as Jesus predicted that they would. Uh, they were afraid for their own skins. Uh, but what happened to them? After they saw the resurrected Lord, then they became Jesus' friends again. Through obedience, uh, they became true friends by serving Jesus, obeying his commands, going forth, uh, fulfilling the Great Commission. Uh, and we are called to do the same. Uh, so we are to love just as Jesus loved them, uh, as friends. We're to love as agents of Jesus. So see this in verse 16, uh, as agents of Jesus. Now, an agent is somebody who uh, goes with the authority of the one who sent them. So Jesus chose the apostles. And the word for apostle, the, the actual word apostle means sent one. Uh, so Jesus chose these apostles. He appointed them and he sent them to go and bear fruit. And these apostles, well, they loved Jesus by obeying Jesus. They loved one another by obeying Jesus, understanding the mission uh, and going to the nations. Now, you and I are Jesus' agents too. If we're going to obey the Great Commission, we go with his authority. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. Now you go, go and make disciples of all nations. So we go with Jesus' authority as well. And we have to live on mission. That means that in our homes and in our work and at the gym and at the supermarket and in our neighborhoods or wherever we happen to find ourselves, uh, we are there to represent Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that people will necessarily listen to us, right? Jesus, in fact, promised that most times they won't. But we carry a sacred message. We carry the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we share it with others, praying that the Holy Spirit will use our words uh, to stir something in their hearts and lead the lost to salvation. So we love as agents of Jesus, and we love by bearing fruit and praying for his will to be done. We talked last week about what bearing fruit means. Uh, as we abide in him, he produces fruit in us, right? We talked about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is all Jesus working in us for our sanctification. And then that love and this fruit of the Spirit that he, he produces in us, that overflows out of us. It spills onto others uh, so that they may also uh, bear uh, or, or reap the abundance of the fruit that is uh, being uh, produced in us by Jesus and his Holy Spirit. And so we continually pray, uh, we, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, if we're asking uh, for this fruit, uh, to, to bear this fruit, uh, well, God will answer that prayer. And we do his will uh, by continually trying to pray uh, that the Holy Spirit's will will be done and that God's kingdom will come. And that works out itself in action. Uh, they will know we are Christians by our love. And so uh, we are to love one another. Now, 
Uh, just because we love one another doesn't mean that we are going to receive uh, that reciprocal response in kind from the world, right? Uh, this next section of chapter uh, 15 of John uh, talks about how uh, we will actually be opposed from the world. Uh, so true disciples uh, should expect opposition from the world. We'll start with verses 18 to 21. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. They do not know the one who sent me. Well, the world will hate us because it hated Jesus. Now, Jesus often used the term the world in the Gospel of John to, to refer to the world's value system that, that is under Satan's control and opposes everything uh, that God uh, cares about. Uh, and and when, when John says the, wor the world, or when Jesus says the world in John, it doesn't mean everyone in the world. It means this section of the world uh, that opposes God. It, it's basically a synonym for the unbelieving world. So when Jesus lived on the earth and walked the earth, uh, he won many believers, but he also uh, had a great majority who refused to believe in him, who refused to follow him, and who, who greatly opposed him. They hated him because he called out their sin and he challenged their laws and their traditions. And Jesus said, look, there are two kinds of people in the world, uh, those who belong to the world system, who are under Satan's control, uh, and those Jesus has chosen and appointed and called out of the world system. So if you are among those Jesus has chosen, you can rest assured that you will not have harmony and peace with the world when you proclaim that you belong to Jesus. Because we call ourselves Christians, we have targets on our back. If they hated Jesus, they will hate us too. If they hate the king, they will hate the king's messengers uh, because they do not know God or Jesus who he sent. So Jesus tells the apostles all of this good news, which is not good news, but it's, it's, it's to prepare them. Uh, so when they uh, suffered these things later on, uh, they would know. Jesus already warned us about these things. We should not be surprised when it happens. And the world did hate them, right? I mean, we could run through the list of each and every apostle and what happened to them. They all died horrible, painful, uh, awful deaths uh, because they would not renounce their Lord and Savior, except for John, who was exiled to a, a rocky island called Patmos. So the world hated them, and the world will hate us too. And think of the evidence uh, just recently of, of how the world hates Christians. This past Monday, uh, as you all know, a woman who was transitioning uh, to a man uh, broke into a Christian school that she attended as a child uh, and shot up the school, killed three nine-year-old students and three adults. Now, this is shocking, and this is demonic, and this is tragic. And, and do you know what the headline on Reuters News was? Reuters News uh, put this as their headline. Former Christian school student kills three children, three staff in Nashville shooting. Is that unbelievable? 
I mean, that is evil, an evil headline, intentionally misleading. Even the media hates Christians, right? And we see that all the time. Uh, so this is spiritual warfare. It's satanic, and it opposes Jesus at every single turn. We see this going on in the world. This is nothing new. Christians have been persecuted for 2,000 years. Christians are killed every day around the world for their faith. Uh, in the U.S., murdering Christians is relatively rare, but we just saw it on Monday, so it's not unheard of. Uh, one way uh, or another way that we're persecuted is, is by the laws that are passed in this country uh, that, that persecute Christians uh, subtly, right, uh, and sometimes not so subtly. Uh, there are laws that, that prohibit the teaching of creationism in public school, right? We're not allowed to teach creationism anymore. You can only teach evolution. Uh, because Jesus said, they do not know the one who sent me. Uh, they don't know God. So they pass laws uh, that prohibit teachers from saying God created, or they might risk losing their jobs if they say that. We know now that teacher-led prayer in school has been banned. The Ten Commandments have been banned from public schools and from courthouses. Uh, Christian views on gender and sexuality and sanctity of life have long been under attack. Uh, Christian bakers and florists and venue owners and government officials and coaches are being fined or fired or jailed uh, for attempting to live by biblical convictions. And Christians are accused for being anti-woman because of our stance uh, about abortion, even though half of the babies born are women, right? Just young women. Uh, so uh, Christians, uh, when we proclaim salvation through Christ alone, we're often called intolerant. We're called bigoted uh, toward other beliefs. Christian parents who try to raise their kids with a Christian worldview uh, are, are seen as brainwashing their children. And these are all just various forms of the world hating Christians as the world hated Christ. And we could go on and on listing these things. These are various forms of the world hating us as they hated Christ. And if, they identif if we identify with Jesus, they will hate us too. Now, we could also spend hours talking about the moral sin of the world. But the sin Jesus was talking about, I think, in these verses was the sin of rejecting him. The sin of not knowing the one who sent him and not knowing Jesus. And Jesus left no excuse for that sin. And that's verses 22 to 25. He says, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sin. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Well, I think what Jesus meant was that before he came and identified himself and spoke the truth to them, they might have been able to claim ignorance for their sin of rejecting him. But since Jesus came and told them that he came from the Father, that the Father sent him, that he came to give life, they had no excuse. And think of all that Jesus said to him during his three-year ministry. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheepfold. Uh, I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the true vine. Jesus proclaimed to be God's son, to be the Messiah. He said salvation is through him alone. And then he did countless miracles uh, to prove it. And so Jesus 
knew that they would reject him, and they did reject him. They rejected him in spite of all this anyway. And then Jesus quoted from Psalm 35 and Psalm 69, they hated me without a cause. They had no real reason to hate Jesus. He came bringing the good news. He he came to proclaim truth, uh, to save souls. But they rejected him because he called out their sin and and called out their, their false human traditions. And he proclaimed himself to be the way of salvation. Now, if that's how it was for Jesus, it will be no different for us. They will hate us without cause, too. Now, believers, we love God, and we're trying uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit to live holy lives. And we're trying to share the gospel that says our sin condemns us, but there is good news that Jesus Christ died for our sin, and he rose from the dead, and through faith in him, you can have eternal life. He frees us from the penalty that we owe. Now, that's what we're trying to do. I wish we could do it perfectly like Jesus did it. We don't do it perfectly, do we? Uh, We Christians are not without sin, and we blow it all the time. And that's why sometimes the world looks at us and says, well, you know, if that's Christianity, thanks, but no thanks, right? We don't want what you're selling if that's what it is that this Christianity looks like. So sometimes the world gives us, uh, we give the world good reason uh, to feel this way, good reason to hate us when we're judgmental, when we fight with each other, when we're hypocritical, when we're cheap, when we're holier than thou, when we're trying to pull the speck out of somebody else's eye, when there's a log in our own eye. These are all legitimate reasons why the world may hate us. Believers sin too, and sometimes the world sees that and they can't tell the difference between their lives and our lives. Well, the difference ought to be when we sin as believers, uh, we ought to be broken by that sin. We ought to, uh, we ought to lament that sin. We ought to uh, immediately want to, to repent of it and ask for forgiveness. That's what they should see in us. Now, unbelievers don't have the Holy Spirit, so they don't have that same remorse uh, when they sin. And Jesus said in the first chapter of John that they love darkness more than they love light. Uh, And that means they love their sin more than they love the truth of Jesus. And so they uh, invent their own truth. They live by their own moral code. And they hate us when we won't celebrate their immorality or join in with it. But they should not hate us for what we're trying to do. We're trying to spread the good news. We're trying to uh, show them that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And, And unbelievers, they hate our evangelism because... Either they don't care about God at all, or uh, they think they can earn their way into heaven by the works that they do. Uh, and they say to us, uh, you know, your Christianity, is, it, it's so arrogant to think that, that, that you're the only way and that all other religions are invalid. That, that's such an arrogant thing to say. It's so exclusive. It's so intolerant to say uh, that other religions are invalid. Well, that's what they say to us. And when unbelievers say to us, are you trying to say to me uh, that if I don't believe in Jesus, that that I'm going to hell? Uh, If they say that to you, your answer should be, look, I'm not saying it. Jesus said it. You got a problem with that. You go talk to the messenger. Jesus said it. We're only repeating what Jesus said. So when we say Jesus died on the cross for their sin and for ours, uh, we're telling them good news. Uh, The only way to heaven is by faith in him. So this is good news. It's not bad news. We're not attacking them. We're trying to help them, telling them the only way they can be saved. But they will often reject us anyway. Now, 
in light of, of that encouraging news, uh, how is it that we can go on? How can we go on knowing uh, that it's very rare uh, that, that the world will accept what we have to say uh, and that people will uh, receive the message of Christ? Well, the only hope we have of being witnesses for Christ, both living our lives properly and then uh, evangelizing well and, and that the, praying that the Holy Spirit will will do a good work in them, is the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's why Jesus taught the apostles to abide in him. All right, that's the theme throughout this chapter. He started verse, verses 1 through 11 talking about abiding. We don't see the word as much anymore throughout John chapter 15, the, the, the second part. But the theme of it, the, the foundation that is established, is abide in me. Uh, and that means abide in Jesus, abide in the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and if we do that, that's a, a daily commitment, uh, a daily decision to follow hard after Jesus, to, to, to stay in his word, to remain in prayer. And if we do that, we'll bear much fruit. Uh, we will bear fruit. And that's why Jesus encouraged them with verses 26 and 27. We see that the Holy Spirit empowers a true disciple's love. When the Holy Spirit comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me, and you will testify also, because you have been with me from the beginning. So Jesus' great promise to his disciples throughout this upper room discourse, beginning in John chapter 14, is this promise that, that the Holy Spirit will come, that, that I will send another helper, the Spirit of truth. And and through the Holy Spirit, uh, we can understand the truth about Jesus. He helps us understand the Bible. He applies it to our lives. He gives us the words to say when we need them. And this is such good news because we know how hard it is to love those, even, that we, even those we love, we have a hard time loving them well. Uh, how do we go about loving the world who is inclined to hate us? Well, only by the power of the Holy Spirit can we do this. He empowers our love, even for those that are not that easy to love. So we're called to testify. We're called to, to, to testify about the love and grace of Jesus Christ, whether they want us to or not. Because remember, unbelievers are blind. They can't see the truth, just like you and I couldn't see the truth before the Holy Spirit did a work in our lives. So how can this change? Well, only by the Holy Spirit doing a work in them. And how does this happen? It happens because somebody went and spoke the word to them and the Holy Spirit did a work in their hearts. And that's why it's our job to spread the gospel and allow the Holy Spirit to make God known, to make Jesus known through our testimony. Now, as Jesus promised, the Holy Spirit did come, right? He came at Pentecost to all those disciples uh, on that day. And through him, the apostles testified about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and because they testified, now here we are 2,000 years testifying ourselves. They testified about Jesus' life and death and resurrection. And in the face of great hostility, uh, they still continued to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to give them both knowledge and courage. It takes both, doesn't it? You have to know something about Jesus Christ. You have to know about the power of his salvation. You have to know about his life and his death and resurrection. And then you have to have the courage to speak. And the Holy Spirit gives both. But there is a price tag attached to it, a danger, a warning attached to it. And that's what uh, Jesus talks about next uh, as we see that true disciples stay true to the end. This is chapter 16, verses 1 to 4. These things I have spoken to you so, so that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. 
These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. But these things I have spoken to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. So Jesus held on to these things. He didn't tell them these things at the beginning of his ministry because he still had three years with them. And he didn't want to burden them with this so early. They wouldn't have understood it anyway, I don't think. Uh, But the night before he died, this was the time to reveal these truths to them and by extension to reveal these truths to us. Jesus says clearly, they will make you outcasts. They will kill you. So he's not warning them to say, beware, they're going to kill you. Death is a promise. That is coming. The warning is about stumbling. Isn't that for something? The warning is not about their death. The warning is about stumbling, falling away. Uh, So that is a fate that is much worse than death. They can only kill us once. We live forever if we don't stumble. The Greek word for stumbling is this word scandalon, where we get our word scandal from. It can mean a trap or uh, to apostasy or something that causes offense. Jesus was called a rock of stumbling and a stone of offense. That's the word scandalon. Uh, In your Bibles, it may be variously translated so that you may not stumble, so that you may not be offended, so that you you may not fall away. Uh, So this is the warning. Now here's the issue. We know that Christians have been killed and will be killed, but how can a true Christian stumble or fall away? How can that happen? Now remember, Jesus was talking to the 11 apostles. Judas had already left the room. These are believers. All 11 of them are believers. So what do we say about this? Well, I would say two things about this. We know from many other passages that a true believer can never lose their salvation, right? Our salvation is secure. Uh, Just a couple of paraphrases. John 10, 29, no one can snatch them from my hand. Uh, Romans 8, 39, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. So our eternal uh, fate, our eternal destiny is secure. Uh, Rest in the knowledge that true believers can never lose their salvation. But what do we do with this particular passage? What about this warning? We have passages like the one we just read and like Matthew 24, 13. He who perseveres to the end will be saved. So the first thing, we can't lose our salvation. But the second thing is that the warning to not stumble is real. It's a real warning that we as believers need to be concerned about. We prove our faith by persevering to the end. Uh, Judas appeared to be a true disciple to all who were around him, right? All 11 were convinced that he was a real apostle, and yet he fell away. He betrayed Jesus. He didn't stay till the end. Uh, Charles Templeton, friend and mentor to Billy Graham, preached the gospel for decades, uh, and then he fell away. He seemed like a real disciple, but then he abandoned the faith, and there are countless examples of that. So God will keep every true believer. We can never lose salvation once we have it. Once saved, always saved. But persevering proves that we are saved. If we don't persevere, we never were true believers. Uh, 1 John 2.19 says, They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. So we have to heed Jesus' warning. Like I said, this was given to believers, and so it applies to us as well. We have to heed the warning. When the world hates us, mocks us, scorns us, ridicules us, or even kills us, we may be tempted to fall away. We may say, I value my life, my life here on earth, more than I value what Jesus promises. 
Well, that is a dangerous trade to make. That is what Jesus is warning them about here. Don't make that trade. We must persevere. We must remember that Jesus promised us the world would hate us and remember the source of the persecution. The world does not know Christ, but we do. And so we continue to abide in him, to love one another, to submit to the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit and to stand firm in our faith. Now let's just close with a few applications. And the first one is this, uh, simply the title of the message, to love one another. The word for love is agape. Agape means that we love no matter the circumstances. It's sacrificial love. Sometimes it means proving our love by action and not only with the words we say. Jesus told his disciples that he loved them and then he went to the cross to prove that he loved it, to, he loved them. So what might sacrificial love look like for us? Well, you know, I could give a million examples of what sacrificial love might look like, but what every single one of them would have in common is that we're putting others before ourselves. Uh, we are, are, are subjugating ourselves to the needs of others and to love them the way they need to be loved, the way they want to be loved. Uh, and that takes time. It takes effort. It takes resources. It takes money. It takes energy. It takes all kinds of things that we may not feel like giving in the moment, but that's the kind of love that we're talking about. Wilberforce gave every ounce of energy he had uh, to abolish that slave trade in the name of Jesus. And look what he did. That obviously influenced the hearts of so many in Parliament that over a period of years, uh, he eventually convinced them that he was right. And what a difference it makes when the world sees Christians acting like we're supposed to act, loving as Jesus said we ought to love. And so even if the world does not know Christ, we do, and we can love those who hate us. Uh, Jesus said the world would hate us, and yet our response to the world is to love them anyway. That's what Jesus did from the, from the cross. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That is love. And at the same time, we need to expect hate. Uh, we should not be surprised. We should not uh, put our heads in the sand uh, and, and think, you know, everybody is going to love us because we're sharing such good news. That's not going to happen. Spiritual warfare is real. Satan does not want us to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. And so he has his people here on earth who are appointed by him, uh, who are going to try to do us harm every way they possibly can. And Jesus promised us that the world will hate us because they hated him and did not know the one who sent him. So if the world hates us, uh, then it hates us because we're being like Jesus. And that's a good thing. We should be thankful uh, that we are representing Jesus well, because if we are not hated by the world, well, then we're probably not doing enough. We're probably not looking enough like Jesus for the world to even take notice of us. So let's be sure the world is taking notice of us for the good we're doing, for the word that we're speaking. And don't be surprised when persecution increases. Expect it and be prepared to respond in love anyway. And finally, never surrender faith. You know, the worst thing anyone can do to us is kill us. And if they kill us, we go immediately to be in the presence of the Lord. Uh, so walking away from Jesus means that we never were believers. Uh, and that means eternal separation from God forever. So take courage, persevere to the end. As we begin this Passion Week, the week of Jesus' suffering, remember what Jesus did for us. He loved us to the end. So let's love one another as Jesus loved us to the end. Let's pray. Lord God, 
this passage is, is so convicting uh, in so many ways because, uh, Lord, we, we are called to love one another and we often don't do it well. And, uh, Lord, we often do give the world to, uh, a cause to look at us and say, uh, if that's Christianity, I, I don't want any part of that, Lord. Lord, we just pray that the Holy Spirit would, would come into our hearts, uh, refresh us, renew us, refill us. Uh, Lord, that he would inspire us to, to go out and, and live uh, even more fruitful lives than we have, Lord, that we would uh, love you so much uh, and, and, and speak of your goodness and what you've done for us uh, so much that, that the world can't help but notice, Lord. And if they persecute us, Lord, they persecute us. But, uh, Lord, let us continue to love in the face of persecution. And let us heed this warning well uh, not to fall away, Lord. Please, we ask, Lord, that you protect us from the evil one. As the Lord's Prayer says, uh, Lord, we, we know that we will face trials in this world. Uh, but, Lord, help us to persevere. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.